Hey, everybody. Welcome back to ATL Developments with Jeff Smith, recording from the Business Radio X studios inside of Renaissance Bank in Alpharetta, where we talk about all things economic development throughout the metro Atlanta area with a focus on residential real estate. I am the branch manager of the downtown Roswell location for Assurance Financial, specializing in residential home mortgages. We fund our own loans, underwrite, and process in-house. We have four quality appraisers on rotation. And if it's a residential loan you're looking for, we've got it. FHA, VA, USDA, conventional, jumbo, new construction, small business owners who need income-based uh, on bank statement deposits or anyone in need with help with their credit. We can hustle to make sure our clients are taken care of and show up happy at the closing table. If you are a realtor, we love to help your first-time home buyers by educating them throughout the process so they feel comfortable throughout the deal. We love making it simple and smooth for your high-end buyers as well. And ultimately, we bring happy clients on time to your closing tables. Well, here we are in 2022. It's a new year, and I have to say, it does feel like a new year. Not all new years feel like a new year, but there's a lot of things happening right now. Uh, it feels like we're moving out of this COVID thing, trying to figure out how to get back to a normal life, whatever that is, which brings me to a topic. It's kind of funny. I write a weekly newsletter on the industry and other things, and my wife reads it, have to make sure there isn't anything she has to apologize to her friends for. And the other half she reads to try and give me some good advice, which she does. And one thing she noticed was that I'm always talking about how we're finally moving out of something and when things were normal or we're going to get back to normal sometime soon. And I, she kind of brought it up to me. She said, well, when are things normal? So I kind of went back through my newsletters. I started reading all my economic notes. And one thing I noticed was I don't think it has ever been normal since I've been in this industry for the last 12 years. I'm not sure there is a such a thing as normal. I think we're always moving from one thing to another. Um, so anyway, such is life. That's kind of my thought of the day. And here we are in a world where things may not always be as extreme as what we just went through with COVID and everything else. Um, but here we are moving into something new. I'm not sure it's normal. But for the last two years, interest rates were near 3% for 30-year fixed rate, according to Mortgage News Daily, the lowest rate ever in the history of conventional rates. So for the last two years, that was normal. Now we've moved out of that and we're going uh, uh, up. Rates have gone up back near 4%. I have people who uh, have only existed really in the last two years in real estate who are freaking out because rates are near 4%, uh, which in most normal times is still near the lowest of all time. So businesses all being about all being aware of what's happening and adapting. And I know many good realtors, but few have done it as well and adapted as well over the time over the years as my guests on the show today, Michael and Roxy Hernandez of the Hernandez Group. The Hernandez Group has been together since 1995 and are dedicated to building relationships and committed to providing the highest level of service by being honest, loyal, understanding, and attentive. They work with buyers, sellers, and investors and have spent a long time in the metro Atlanta area building and maintaining a strong reputation as a team that goes above and beyond for their clients. Roxy is a native of Texas and moved here in 1990, where she met her husband and business partner, Michael. They have three daughters and are avid volunteers in our community. Roxy serves on the board, on the board for foster care support. Michael serves on boards for Roswell First Responder Foundation, as well as Roswell Rotary. I know them in more ways than one. Our children go to school together, and, and I, too, am a Roswell Rotarian. 
Uh, Michael and I also have a very fond relationship with uh, a, a nice beverage called beer, <laughs> specifically craft beer. Uh, and I'm thrilled to have my friends Roxy and Michael Hernandez on the show. Hello, gang. How Hello. are you? Hey there, Jeff. How are you? Fantastic. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Fantastic. I'm absolutely fantastic. It's a lot of fun to do this show and have people I know on here and, you know, go through kind of what's going on. Why don't you guys tell everybody a little bit about the Hernandez group for starters? I tried to do uh, kind of what I know about you, but tell us a little bit about Hernandez group, maybe some history on it and what you guys do, what makes you special. Tell us some stuff. Ladies. Well, we got our, we decided to get our real estate license in 1995 and we're always asked what, uh, what was it about real estate that, that caught your interest? I had a background in restaurant management and then the music industry. And my mother got her real estate license about six months before we did. And we said, heck, let's just get our real estate license. So we went and studied at Waffle House, drank lots of coffee and then, uh, got our license. And then it was what do we do next? So, um, <laughs> it's, it's been great. Yeah. So, um, we kind of stumbled into it. Um, my dad had a house for sale and, um, as you mentioned, we were in the music business industry before. So my dad basically said, Michael, if you can find one of those fancy musician artists up there that have all this money, would like to sell them our house and I'd give you X amount of dollars. And I thought I was like, well, that's twice as much money as I make in a year. So I, I thought about it. We didn't <laughs> right. get in for, for the, for the money. Definitely didn't get in for the money, but then we started realizing the fun of matchmaking. And so um, the Hernandez group started 1995, as Roxy said. Well, that's, that's fun. That's exciting. That's a neat way to come into it. Um, you know, this industry has all types and, um, you know, I'm imagining now I'm starting to think back on you two and I've known you all for a while, but I didn't know the 1990s Roxy and Michael. And I'm imagining y'all, I, I know the, the reputation has been strong. I've met you since your reputation has been strong. People know you as a strong realtor team. Uh, you do good work and, uh, I, I've met you on the other side. So I'm interested, what was it like kind of starting out. How did you get business? I mean, when you first started, I mean, how did you create this? What did, how did it just come from? Well, um, the internet was about to come out. Mm -hmm. So I was in line for Windows 95. So basically what we were, and, and because of our history with our, our sphere, most of them were in the music business, which means that they were broke. And so <laughs> right. we had right. to go with first time home buyers. And mm -hmm. so I would write in, to the Atlanta Journal each week and mail in uh, my ad for a first-time home buying seminar, and then uh, that's really where our focus was: the first-time home buyers at that point. Yes, and then I remember my very first day at our very first brokerage, and I'm like, "What do I do?" And my broker came in with the big Haynes directory, which I think they still make, and it's really, really thick. And she just opens it and goes, "Start calling." start calling. So I just got off the phone. I was broke, didn't have a computer. I kept right. track of all my leads on index cards, Okay. tickler cards. So there's no excuse that, that you can't um, start your own business and work if you don't have a computer. Now everyone, of course, has a computer, but... Yeah, we got so many tools now. It's, uh -huh. it's incredible to mm -hmm. think, you know, how did anybody get anything done back then at all? You right. know, when I think of how many spreadsheets and the amount of information <laughs> we're processing right now. Um, well, that, that's, that's kind of neat. It's fun to hear. There's a lot of people, I work with a lot of new agents as well, and it's, it's just fun to see them with everything in front of them and have no idea exactly how it's going to turn out. 
Um, and um, if, you, if you could say, and I consider y'all successful, right? Compared to most realtors, y'all are very successful realtors. You've done a great job, great reputation. You know, if there's one thing you could tell a young realtor out there, you know, what, what did the young Michael and Roxy do above anything else that kind of led you to having a successful career in this real estate industry? We've always been very passionate about relationship building. Mm. And we have never, since we've been in real estate, said that we come before our clients. We're not interested in just having mass listings and signs and yards. Our clients are help, or they're asking us to help them get their home sold. So every member we've ever had of the team, we've mentioned to them that if you ever become more important than our clients, you will not be on the team. So our clients right. sincerely always come before us. Yeah, um, it is about the relationship. Uh, you could get into uh, a networking group like a BMI, or you could get with you know, the church. Do the things that you like to do mm-hmm. and be passionate about it, and then it, things will fall in line once you let everyone know what you're doing. But you got to be sincere. Uh, right. People can see through that if you're looking desperate and just saying me, me, me. Right. But uh, you just listen. You really do listen and try to um, let everyone know that you're, you can help them in multiple ways in the real estate industry. Enjoy helping people. It's not about the numbers. It's not about don't, you know, correct. It's about getting some, making somebody happy and continuing that relationship, which is absolutely right. Great business model. Mm -hmm. If you can help somebody and uh, send them out into the world and they're so happy that maybe you'll get more business. It's just a great way to do it. Um, well, that's awesome. And another question I have for you, you are the second, uh, team I've had where it's a husband-wife team. So me and Brenda tried before. I had a construction company years and years and years ago, and we had a very, very, very short stint of her doing the accounting for the business. So I'm always amazed, and, and we, we're great, right? We get along great, but that that part wasn't, you know, didn't we couldn't quite figure out and, and, and certainly didn't take the time and effort to make that work. Um, and, uh, but y'all have, and so how, what is that like having your wife and husband, your spouse as a business partner? How have you, I'm sure it hasn't always been easy. I'm sure it has taken some work. I'm sure you've learned some things along the way. You know, tell, tell us a little bit about what it's like working with your spouse. It's always been so easy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. She's smirking. Yes. So, um, I think we both have things that we like to do. And we have things that we're not good at. And so one of my fortes is, is I, I'm the one who likes going out there and, and meeting people and, and setting the stage for us to be able to help them, negotiating the contracts. One of our clients had said I was a lovable pit bull when it came to negotiating. But um, Michael, we kind of stay in our own lanes. Um, it was very difficult for many years because we caught ourselves going to bed at night talking about what happened that day in work and business. And I think finally Michael said one day, we've got to stop doing this. Right. And since then, we, we haven't. But um, I've, I think it's been very, fairly easy. Yeah, we've, um, I guess the first thing we made sure is who's the rainmaker, and that's Roxy. Okay. So once, once we figured that, I mean, we've, we, that was obvious, actually. Didn't have to figure that out. But um, after that, it was really just working around her and seeing what she wanted. And then I would do it and then just get out of her way. And like Roxy said, stay in your own lane. Yeah. There's times where we butt heads, but at the end of the day, we know that that was business. Right. And then we do our very best to take it away. And I, well, during COVID where home offices are 
you know, it's living room to right. you know, dining right. room. So, but um, we've really just, like Roxy said, strength and weaknesses. And she knows things that I just cannot stand doing and she'll do them and then vice versa. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I also know, as any parent knows, any parent with active children knows, any parent who is active in their children's active lives knows that that must have been a little bit of a game changer as well. Once all of a sudden children arrived in the world, um, how did that? I, I mean, I imagine it's easy to take your business home when you don't have children, but maybe when they're there, uh, you know, how did that kind of how did how did that interfere with things? Um, well, first of all, I will say we are not perfect. Yeah, because there is a lot of work going on and talk about items of the day. Yeah, um, but we did for a time being try to keep it from six to eight without talking any kind of work. We'll let our voicemail pick up and let the kids, that's our time with the family uh, during that time. And then they're doing homework too. So um, they were raised in it. I mean, they heard mom, you know, we're driving to the beach and they're hearing us talk on the phone. We're talking to each other and recapping. So, um, but at the same time, they, they, they got to benefit yeah. of our success. They were able to go on some nice trips. Right. And so they understand, you know, that we work and that shows, um, I won't brag about my kids, but, um, they're in college. So they're working multiple jobs. So as they're in college, right. and so one of them is actually a, working at a call center for, uh, Cutco knives and she is killing it, killing and crushing it. it. And that's because it's all yeah. scripts and that's what Roxy has been doing. And so subconsciously she has picked up that. So, um, that's a long winded answer. No, it's a great answer. And it's the common theme that I've noticed is just consciously setting parameters and consciously making time commitments. Um, and just being conscious and and aware of that you are talking business and when you are and when you're not and setting parameters and understanding each other and your roles. There's some, you know, married couples, um, in some ways you could see where being a business partner almost strengthens your relationship. You get to know your, your, your spouse, maybe a little bit more. And I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm getting a little deep there, but <laughs> it's just kind of, I'm just thinking myself through it. I'm thinking, here you go talk. And it's interesting. So, um, let's talk about real estate, right? So the industry, I mean, I don't have to, uh, everybody says it's wild, crazy, whatever it's, it's what it is. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta has just been very, I want to say slowly, but I guess it's been quickly over the last 12 years, it's just become more and more and more of a seller's market. And to this point right now, I don't know if y'all know Frank Norton, right? Mm -hmm. But I remember he he does his annual speeches. And I remember about six years ago, he did one where he said, Hey, realtors, what are you going to do when inventory hits zero? Everybody thought he was joking. Yeah. Well, we ain't far from it, Mm -hmm. you know? So the market's kind of changed. Uh, If you could just do a high, give a high level, let our folks know kind of what's going on, um, you know, in the real estate market right now. What are you, what are you seeing? Well, definitely a shortage of inventory. Like we all know, um, showing up to show a house, you see the same agents for the first two hours. We're all following each other, showing the same, same properties, open houses of 50 to 60 people, um, buyers feeling very uncomfortable with their decisions. Uh, we're seeing a large rate of terminations of buyers just not having time to actually grasp and think about the property. Um, what I've been seeing is about a thousand listings a week coming on the market in the greater Atlanta metro area. Very, very low inventory, less than a month. How would you compare that maybe to, and, and again, I don't want to use the word normal, but maybe 
five, six years ago? Well, I can, one example I can give you is a neighborhood in Roswell where it was uncommon, it was not uncommon to see 30 homes on the market in one neighborhood. Wow. It's a 2,000 square, uh, 2,000 plus household um, neighborhood. And now as of this morning, there was three. Wow. Right. So very limited inventory. Um, one out of three sales in the last quarter of last year were bought by investors. So we're seeing a lot of cash offers from folks moving in, relocating from California, Nevada, um, New York, New Jersey. So um, it's very challenging right now. You know, Jeff, and you maybe you can um, shed some light on this, but I read an article that 11% of buyers' down payments are from cryptocurrency. <laughs> have you seen that? I have. I'm trying to think of one that I've had over the last two years. And I did have one. And it was it was painful just in the terms of paperwork and tracing everything because these cryptocurrency, if you're out there, you know, we have to source where all these funds come from. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these crypto banks don't have like monthly statements. Like I I, I don't get the crypto thing. <laughs> I have friends that invest heavily in it. It freaks me out. It's based on somebody came up with it and like, they don't even provide bank statements. I mean, you talk about trust. There's, yeah, yeah. you know, after somebody who survived 2008, I'm just happy to have, anyway, I agree. You, you hit a nerve. On I, the crypto I, okay. Thing. Okay. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, th this market, we are very low less, you know, one, 1. 1.2 months of inventory, as you know, healthy market is six, six months of inventory. Right. Um, it has been a seller's market going. Um, we kind of thought maybe a bubble was, you know, we were near a, a transition per se, uh, in 2017, 2018. Um, and then all of a sudden the feds were pushed up the rate a little bit. And then all of a sudden the pandemic came and it just dropped us down. And so it's been two years. Can you imagine it's been two years since we've been through this, uh, the COVID situation. So, um, the normal, yeah, your new normal. There's right. not a normal. I mean, right. as we all saw back yeah. in the early nineties or mid nineties leading up the IPO, Right. The IPOs were hot. You know, now you got the SPACs that are hot. Um, everyone wanted to go into tech, tech, tech. And then everyone wants to go into crypto, crypto, crypto. And so something's going to give here. And I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but there's a lot of similarities. A lot of people making a lot of money on these quick ins and outs of the stock market that um, we just got to hold our own. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's uh, if one thing I learned in 2008, it's to pay attention to what's going on around you and just react as quickly as you can. Because mm -hmm. I was a little slow in 2008 with the the, biz, the the construction industry that I was in at the time. And uh, I won't make that mistake again. But yeah, it's, it's hard to tell exactly uh, where we're headed in this economy. Um, labor shortages, you know, is really just really, and I don't know if that's just the thing. Before COVID, that was the biggest thing holding our economy back from growth was we didn't have enough people to mm -hmm. produce the goods and services. We were maxed out. We were, we were unemployment was under four. Yeah. Unemployment. No, if you weren't, didn't have a job, it was a you problem. You know, it was so, um, now here we are after COVID. I, it's not like we just found a whole bunch of new employees. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what life is like. I mean, it's always changing and we just have to get used to that. And nobody really knows what's coming. We're not, the old days are gone, you know? So, um, but on the second home thing, one thing that you said, bring it back directly in the real estate market here. One, one thing that's interesting. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, who help control interest rates have just recently said they are going to, they're trying to stop this second home and investor 
purchase. They're trying to help increase the supply. So by mm-hmm. doing that, they're about to make it more expensive for somebody to buy a second home. Mm-hmm. So they're adding you know, almost a half a percentage point to rate, whereas second home rates were usually pretty close to where your primary house was, and then your investment property rates were usually about you know, three-eighths to a half a point higher. Now second homes are going to be about the same. So, but maybe y'all noticed, have y'all come across, y'all do a lot of listings, I know. Do you come across most of the investment properties that I've seen being purchased up? And usually these are a little bit of the lower income type stuff, but it's usually these big companies. So I don't know how much that's really going to slow things down, but hedge funds companies are coming in and and they're buying in masses. And so um, we're talking thousands of properties at a time. They're just sending out offers, blind offers, getting them, gathering them, buying them, and then packaging them off. Kind of like we saw back in 2008 with the the bonds. But um, back in 2008, a lot of investors were coming, money abroad was coming in, buying and scooping up all the foreclosure. So there's a lot of properties out there that investors own, outside investors um, institutional investors. So there are some from two to nine houses, a small investor has, you know, they, they make up the second largest of the investors outside of the institution. So, um, we're seeing a lot of investors, as Roxy said, one out of three are investors. Um, but second homes, we are seeing a lot of people doing second homes and then they're turning around on Airbnb them. Right. Um, Roxy and I just did a, a kitty condo. So we bought a place in Athens. Um, explain what a kitty condo is. Well, it's a yeah. nickname. Uh, doesn't yep. have to be a condo. Doesn't have to right. it could be a single family house. Right. But, um, as parents, we go ahead and, um, if we want to go purchase a property in Athens, Georgia, that, which we did, uh, we, we can then have our child be on the loan as well as on the title. So they're purchasing their first house and we're, we're not necessarily co We are kind of co-siding, right. but non-occupant co-bar. Right. Or we and call so that we in can the mortgage st- industry. Yes. Thank you, sir. Yep. And, um, we can, we can <laughs> still take advantage of the homestead. Right. She can. Right. Uh, because it is her primary residence while she's in college while she's well, as long as or, she wants to stay there. Right. Right. Um, and she could get in. As, that's typically why people are starting yes. out because they're in college. Mm-hmm. You're going to pay rent anyway. You might as well own a house and get equity. Okay. Right. right. Or right out of college. And right. instead of paying these crazy rental rates, which if we hit that topic, we, um, but the rental rates are high. So if you could get in, uh, and find something for your child, right. Or it could, doesn't have to be a child. It could be a, a niece or an, you know, an outside family member that's blood related. Um, but anyways, you can get in there and then at that point they can take off and they, if they want to go buy another house, you could use that now as a rental property and you got into the property with five to 10% down. Right. And a good interest rate. And a great interest rate. Right. Absolutely. And, and, and then you can start charging those high rental rate, those That's high right. rental rates, That's right. which, which you said we can get into that topic. So, I mean, do you guys work with, for, how many do you work with first time home buyer? I know you do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it's a pretty easy sell, isn't it? Somebody that's renting when they start really comparing the numbers. What are you guys seeing out there? Um, the last statistic I saw in Atlanta was rental rates last year went up 24%. Wow. And I'm seeing landlords, it was pretty customary, a 3 to 5% increase when the lease is up. But I'm seeing some that are even excess of up to 10% 
they're asking, you which know, is them, wrong for them which to is pay. Totally not right. I that's that's morally wrong, but that's just me. But people don't have a choice, do they? Right? Nope. There's, no. It's not like there's the it's if there was more con, it's a supply and demand, right? Mm-hmm. If there's more competition mm-hmm. out there, the markets would take care of that. But um, yeah, that's. Uh, it's a uh, it's 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 an it's a problem. It's it's exacerbating everything else, and that's why apartment people are trying to build apartments everywhere. The supply is down. So go back to the investor thing, where people are buying up all these properties. That's exacerbating the supply and demand problem, which we have because we just don't have a lot of buildable land left in Atlanta. Reasonable, um, right? You, builder can't Price. come in and buy a hundred acres, put up a hundred homes, and sell them for three hundred thousand dollars a piece. You just can't do that anywhere. Mm-hmm in the metro Atlanta area. Yeah, yeah. And people aren't ready for 12-story condo towers to start going up everywhere. Right. Uh, unless right. you're in town, maybe you can get away with that stuff. So um, it, It's tough. I mean, affordable yeah. housing is very, very tough. And I, right. I feel for them. Uh, there's these college kids that are coming out and they're making $100,000 and it's going to be a struggle for them to find something right. that fits their box. Well, and so... Speaking of that market, as competitive as it is, tell me what is the role in this market today, right? What is the role of the seller's agent and what is the role of the buyer's agent? And I'm talking price range, you know, anything under maybe six or $700,000 where it's, where it's pretty darn competitive. And it may be, you, y'all know the numbers better, but what, what is the role of a listing agent these days? Before the listing agent's job was to make this house as pretty as possible to try to attract people to it. People are coming to the house no matter what, right? I mean, you almost just got to list it, you know. Uh, and then as a buyer, you're fighting. I mean, there's a lot more you have to do, obviously. To yeah, right. you tell me, that's what I'm getting. Well, at, you got to bring yeah. a. You got to bring your. I mean, if you're, yeah. if I, as a listing agent, and Roxy will be able to shed more light on this, but we just had uh, a listing that was ready. I was like, Roxy, we could just put this on the market. It's ready to go. It's vacant. Yeah. It needs carpet and paint, but you know, this is going to investors going to come in here and just, and, um, we ended up doing the carpet and the paint very, you know, very reasonable for the, uh, the landlord and, uh, ended up getting 30 or 40 plus offers, but you got to give a good product out there. That way your offers that way. I was a little disappointed because my record was 48. Oh my God. So I was trying to beat that, but uh, <laughs> I, as far as a, as far as an agent representing a seller, it's yeah. very challenging for some realtors right now because they're not used to having all of these different offers that we have to present to the sellers and analyzing them. And I know as being a listing agent, sometimes it's amazing to me, I'll get an offer in and I never have even heard from the buyer's agent. So if you're a buyer's agent now working with a buyer, you have to stay in the face of the listing agent in a nice, cordial, courteous way about why your buyer deserves this house over another buyer. So communication is, is key and negotiating strategies. It's like having, it's like a job resume and there's, you got a stack of papers. I mean, I don't even know how you sort through 40 to 48 uh, offers and you have to sort through every one because you are required to present these offers to Mm -hmm your client in yes. a, in an intelligent way. Yes. Right. So what makes a strong offer? What kind of things are you looking for? Is it just purchase price? Are there other things involved? What, what kind of makes a strong offer? I've had sellers before that have accepted an offer that was not the strongest in price, but they liked some of the other terms, maybe being able to stay in the house after closing. 
because they didn't have a house to go to. Uh, maybe they met the buyer at the house when they were there showing and struck up a conversation. Um, less contingencies. So we're seeing a lot of offers that don't have any financing contingencies. They don't have appraisal contingencies. They're not doing inspections, which I don't recommend, but right. there's some there's some caveats and stipulations you can write in. So it's the whole package to have the less stress for the, less stress. That's what they're looking for. They're just wanting the easiest deal that can close. Right. So the strong, the strongest offer price is one thing, but the, you know, somebody's ability to follow through on that mm -hmm. uh, might even be stronger than the price. And having a great loan officer like yourself, that's going to call behind right. when we're making an offer to the listing agent. Right. And then, and, and lastly right. is the reputation of the real estate agent and um, the lender. It, it, mm -hmm. it really holds a lot of weight. And that, uh, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because it's in this, with this market, I'm really not competing with, with a whole bunch of lenders out there because there are listing agents that just aren't taking offers from banks that ha are known to not be able to close on time. So, um, I'm glad you said that. And, you know, every time I, we have a buyer, I work with a lot of buyer's agents, you know, we're always calling the listing agent and I have agents that are telling me they're they're including me on the offer as part of the team making us very transparent, you know, uh, having me call the agent and sell because it is like a, a, res a job resume, you know, we're trying to figure out what does this listing agent want? You know, what is, what's going to get this deal, you know, cause it's, it's exhausting as a buyer. If you don't have an agent that is going to get you, win you the deal, you're just going to fall in love with the house, put in the offer and you're going to lose out on it. And now the next weekend you're gonna have to drive around again and, and I've seen that process with some agents last months. Um, others are just very, very, very good at hustling and figuring out what's, there's no, what I've learned, there's no real, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, there's no real um, formula, right? It's like every deal, you got to figure out, okay, what's going on? Who's the listing agent? What is this listing agent looking? What kind of listing agent? What does the seller want? You got to get through that. It's kind of a hustler's yeah. game. You got to yeah. figure out. Which is which yeah. is always exciting. Keeps everything right. moving, yeah. right? So, uh, but really, just finding the pressure points, as you're saying, what what right. what's it going to take for this? And um, who knows? It, it it's it's always enjoyable. Yeah. It, well, it's always enjoyable. Buyers agents, I and we're buyers agents. Uh, we do right. work with buyers, um, but it is it is it is definitely grueling. Now, what I feel really bad about, and maybe you could shed some light on it, is these FHA, especially VA buyers, mm. that are just getting clobbered. And they are as healthy, on paper, great lender, backing them, and they just still can't get the deal. Correct. And, um, you know, FHA loans in a lot of ways are a lot more flexible than a conventional loan. Um, you start talking about the VA and what's going on there. Uh, you will hit a pain point with me and I will get on my soapbox. Nothing drives me more crazy. And I've had listing agents say, this is a VA loan, so you, it doesn't have a chance. We're not taking any VA offers. In my mind, these people fought for our country. They signed a piece of paper that said, we will put our life on the line for this country. And this is a way for the country to give back to them. In my mind, they should go to the top of the pile and get the first shot, Right. That's where I come from. My father's a Marine. So um, it kind of drives me crazy. Now, on a technical side, uh, the listing agent, the, the, the stink on a VA loan, if you will, is that the appraiser, is, it's the appraisal system. So 
I got that and I went back and looked through my last two and a half years of VA loans. I looked at all the appraisals. So people always complain that the appraisal is going to take forever. My appraiser, my VA appraisers were taking one day longer than my conventional and FHA appraisers. Only one day. As far as value, I didn't have one deal that came in under value over the last two and a half years on a VA loan. So hmm. that myth is busted. Um, the VA, the misnomer is they want to do a loan for that veteran. They want to. They have caveats they have to meet. They have things they have to meet, but there is back and forth. And, you know, we can LOX, which is a letter of explanation on a lot of different issues, as long as they realize that there's a reason behind some of the things. So anyway, like I said, you've hit a nerve and I could go on and on and on because that drives me crazy because I've got veterans that are trying to find houses and it's like they're, there's a, they got a pox or something and they're getting, uh, hindered, you know, they're getting lambat. They're not able to buy a house because because they fought for this country and they're trying to utilize it, which is one of the, which is the best loan on the market period. Yeah. Very so, unfortunate. Very unfortunate. Is. Yeah. That's a, I so, completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah. Thank you. So we'll, we'll, we'll take that up. But, um, so where are we going? What's going, what's the, what's going to happen in the market? You know, what's, uh, what, is we going to keep going like this? I mean, uh, I'm sure you guys, uh, I stopped making prognostications a long time ago, but I'm sure you guys. Well, we love reading your newsletters. It's uh, it's (laughs) great with all the information you're getting as well. Um, Our crystal ball is that this year is going to be good. It's going to keep. It's going to be a seller's market. Um, One thing I would like to say real quick is that buyers and sellers agents need to think about because in 2008, a selling agent or a, a listing agent was going through nightmares as a buyer's agent's going through now. So the tables have gotcha. turned, but the tables will turn again. And again, your reputation on how you show yourself and how you how you work with your clients and with your peers is going to stand. And people will not forget those agents out there are doing shady things or right. not so nice things. That will come around. Um but as far as in a you, high pressure market like we have squeezes that kind of stuff out of people, it really does show the character of people, the amount of pressure people are under to make a deal work and yeah. going through 48 listings and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah. but I do, I do see, um, I feel like the, the housing market's still going to be strong, still going to be a seller's market. Um, from what I'm reading, and I do a lot of research. I just like to listen to economists and what have you. Mm-hmm. But they're saying that the sales prices are not going to rise as much as they have the last two, three years. But they are going to rise. Um, right now, you got 20 plus percentage over what last year was it's versus insane. the year before yeah. that. And this same thing happened back in um, 04, 05, 06. Um, so, but you're going to get a more healthier sales price uh, appreciation year over year this year. So, um, but it's still going to be a grueling market for buyers agents. Just roll up your sleeves and get it done. When you got to buy a house, Absolutely. it's time to buy a house. Absolutely. And, uh, you just got to roll up your sleeves and knock it out. And, uh, we'll try as the professionals that we are, we will try to make it as an enjoyable experience as we possibly can. <laughs> Let us do the work and let's try to keep the fun in it. And, Absolutely. Uh, right. Absolutely. Well, y'all, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, y'all been a lot of fun. We didn't even get into a lot of stuff we could have, but um, 
next time. Yeah, next time. We'll save that for when we do the, the, the brewery tour. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, we appreciate you having us on here. This is great. Great setup. John, you did great. Michael and Roxy Hernandez of the Hernandez Group, if you are looking for some realtors, whether you are a buyer, a seller, an investor, uh, they stand by their reputation of over 27 years in business. Long time. Long time. So thank you all so much for coming on the show. We'll see you around town. For everybody else, um, let's have a happy new year. Let's get cracking and uh, we'll see you on the next time. Thanks, Jeff. You're wonderful. Thank you.